In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is a day that I wish Justice Scalia were here because I just learned a new word. As I'm reading the parable in the 18th chapter of Matthew, um, a word jumps out, and almost all of these words are familiar um, because we've read these Gospels how many times? When the bad servant who was, a, who was forgiven the huge debt then lays hold of his fellow servant who had a much, much smaller debt. The word in the gospel in Latin, in the Vulgate, is conservis. Con, with, servus, servant, right? The one with whom he is a servant. His fellow servant, his conservis. The properties of the conservis, of the conservus, right? Um, in adjectival form would be, right, conservative. Um, with the servant. I'm sure all of you already knew that when you were in diapers because you're all homeschooled and I wasn't. But um, I'm sure the justice would have more to say about that. Um, a great old priest reminded me that it's, it's actually a grace and a blessing to see something brand new in something that you've read a hundred times. It means you're still open to the Holy Spirit. So um, look forward to always noticing and discovering something new when you're reading the Holy Gospels. Um, to be merciful because much mercy has been shown us is what it means to be Christian, among other things. But it's, it's, it's a sine qua non, right? Um, to love your enemy. Um, some of us in confession are willing to admit uh, you don't love your enemy and you almost don't want to. That's very honest. Uh, when we pretend to love our enemy and in fact do not and have no interest in loving our enemy but know that we have to parrot that behavior, it's super complicated and it's going to be hard to make any progress. But to admit that I hate my enemy, and I do not want to love my enemy, that's the beginning of progress. That's the beginning of opening up your heart to grace. It means always speaking the truth, speaking the truth about your enemy. Speaking the truth when your compatriots, right, your fellow servants, your conserves, when they are speaking falsely of your common enemy, how often are we put in the position of being told, don't criticize your conservus, your fellow servant, because he's going after a common enemy. We know when there, there's a difference between nitpicking. Your, your grammar was off, or you sound a little agitated. Shame on you. As opposed to, no, that's not true. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. It's very important to have unity because we are not fighting simply against temporal powers. This is a spiritual battle. 
it's absolutely essential for the Catholic Church to be Catholic. For the one true church to, to unite all believers. To be united in that doctrine which has to be believed. And, and not forcing people to be, go along with our opinions when they're simply opinions or accepted theological positions. It's absolutely critical. It's not just something for bishops to know about or theologians to debate. It is absolutely critical for every one of us to be clear what is non-negotiable and what is A good example is the, are these coming days. There's some non-negotiables with regard to life, with regard to the truth of, of, of the way that we are made, male and female, that are absolutely non-negotiable truths that Christians can expect to hold in common with other believers, other Christians, and can reiterate to others on behalf of the body of Christ, on behalf of the church, with regard to an upcoming election, for instance. On your own, your own opinions, you need to be, make sure you have good opinions, um, care about forming good, uh, smart, intelligent, wise opinions, and have at it spreading them to whomever you like. But in the name of the church, whether it and, and doesn't mean as a as a volunteer in a church organization or as a staff member uh, in a church organization, but using the leverage, using the weight of as a Catholic, you should dot 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 be be scrupulous about making sure you are not using that leverage and weight to promote your own opinions. You should have opinions about everything, but be clear when you speak as a Christian, as a, as a representative of the body of Christ by virtue of your baptism and confirmation. Very important. When we're teaching, when we're catechizing, when we're correcting, it's all very important. doesn't mean our opinions are unimportant. But what do we say as a member of, what do we proclaim as a representative of the church? So, the mercy that we should have because we've been forgiven much, the love for enemy, which is really the hallmark of a Christian, especially with regard to speaking truth about our enemies and calling each other to task, taking each other to task for being untruthful uh, is very important. Seems to, seems to be at odds um, with St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. His call to arms Take up the armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day to stand in all things perfect. 
And what are our weapons? Truth, justice, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the word of God. These are our weapons. The weapons of our adversaries, they become our trophies, right? In Rome, we think of the Ark of Titus, right? 81, built by Domitian to celebrate the plunder of Jerusalem, with the, um, famously depicting the menorah from the temple in the Via Sacra in Rome. Or more visible, especially to to visitors of the Christian sites, is Trajan's Column, built in 113 with that famous spiral frieze all the way up with the the procession marching back from the battles against the Dacians, the Dacians, uh, with all of their, their banners, the enemy's banners and the enemy's weapons. They become our trophies as we come back from battle. Um... There's also the, the Ark of Constantine from the early 300s. It's in that context, and remember G.K. Chesterton on the Everlasting Man. If you haven't read it, go ahead and read it. Um, that when... twelve December 1531 rolls around... And Our Lady of Guadalupe shows herself. This banner, which will be flown in the Holy League at the Battle of Lepanto, a copy of which, uh, one of the five original copies of Guadalupe was uh, flown in battle. Our Lady of Guadalupe unveiled to the people of Central and South America was obviously the same triumphal depiction of the enemy conquered. With the cosmology of the indigenous peoples, especially Inca, Maya, Aztec, I'm more familiar with the Inca cosmology, the sun god and the moon god and the Pachamama mother goddess, not really a god, but sort of goddess, original, aboriginal human or the mother of the whole human race, through a relation with the moon god, all of this is, is, is shown, is conquered in Our Lady of Guadalupe. She's standing in front of the sun. She's standing on top of the moon. And, and the Pachamama, who's that pregnant woman with her hands out front, yields to Our Lady of Guadalupe. The pregnant woman, her hands held out in prayer, and she's pregnant with the Son of God, God himself. Instantly, all of it, and even going into further details, even the constellations and even the, the flora that are depicted there, all of it completely understood, completely, um, completely glorious. And even that much more perfect because it's a, it's a banner of victory before the, the converts have even come. 
I mean, there were a few. Juan Diego was already a convert, but the millions, that'll happen later and quickly. And so remembering, remembering uh, the very good um, lessons in Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton, that all of these religions that precede Christianity have a very important role in human history and have a special place in divine providence because you can see that they lead up to and prepare people for the gospel. Once someone has received the gospel, to revert back to that is abhorrent. But as, as a precursor to Christianity, they are critical in preparing peoples for the gospel. None is more obvious. I mean, there, there's obviously in indigenous cosmologies, sun gods and other, other and sacrifices and so many other things that seem similar. Heck, even the, the Mithraic temples had something similar enough that Justin Martyr had to explain it away. I go through this because a young a youngster, homeschooler, a young youngster, asked me with great innocence and, and with a chuckle, as though I heard this silly little thing, and people are talking about it, and I just think it's silly. And why did, why did the Pope apologize for the Pachamama statue going into the river? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, here, I, I'm not talking to an adult who goes to Mass. I have to answer this to a little kid. How do, I, how do I explain this to a little kid whose innocence has to be protected? So what is the best case scenario? Best case scenario genuinely is that the Pope is very nice and he apologized that someone else's property was damaged. Was that enough, little kid? And he thought that was enough, so that's all I said. But there's a larger context for, for seeing, um, and don't worry, I didn't bring my Pachamama statue over here. I have it over, over in my room. I brought it back from Peru when I hiked the Inca Trail. Because it's a, it's a trophy of our victory, right? She was conquered by Our Lady of Guadalupe. We collect the weapons of our enemies as our trophies and make no apologies. That... It doesn't mean that there's, uh, it, should mean to, it means it should be that much clearer that someone who has uh, an awareness of this and even a, a gratitude for the way in which this thing preceded Christianity so that Christianity could be immediately recognized as the fulfillment of all religious aspirations. can so easily by um, simply being nice um, turn into idolatry and make us guilty for promoting it. What are our weapons? Truth, faith, justice, the word of God. 
and even more explicitly, that comes for the Holy Spirit, the sacraments, the body and blood of Christ. And we know our enemies want to capture these as trophies, quite literally. When I was a young seminarian, it was discovered um, that there were uh, sacred hosts that were stuck to the bottom of pews. It was discovered by a little one who was crawling around, uh, a really, really, really little one, of course, um, crawling around underneath the pews. Thank goodness for that. And we knew, this is in Fairfax, at St. Leo the Great, that in the park next door there were um, satanic rites from time to time in the public park. So what does it mean? It means especially during this month of November, extra prayers, prayers of reparation. Prayers of reparation for all sins against faith. Prayers of reparation for all sins against right worship. Prayer for reparation, prayers of reparation for the sins of all of the fallen. And not just our most beloved faithful departed, but but all the faithful departed. As there are clergy changes being announced this uh, weekend in a variety of other parishes, doesn't affect us, it affects St. Andrew, St. Francis de Sales, St. Teresa Ashburn, St. John Warrington, St. Veronica, um, St. Charles Borromeo, St. Louis parishes. Um, um, priests need to do reparation for the sins of other priests, not ask for sympathy. And we all must do reparation for the sins of other Christians, living and dead, this month especially, the church suffering. So as we approach the Lord with, with gratitude and asking for his mercy, we also come with a heart full of mercy and ask the Lord to to, to send, send his grace to all of us and, and bring us all home to his, to his kingdom in heaven for the praise and glory and honor of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.